Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Please do post reviews on iTunes if you can, uh, a rating or a comment or something. It's always nice to see them, and it also helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. Uh, now, coming up on today's show, what is an MP worth? How much would you pay your MP? Uh, they've just been told they're not going to get a pay rise next year, but what should they be paid? Should we pay them loads because, frankly, they're one of the country, or nothing at all because, well, everybody hates politicians, don't they? That's our big... Uh, thing coming up. But first, it's Monday, so our columnist panel must be Liberace, that's uh, Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester. So, are we excited about another looming Brexit deadline? A deadline passed, I think you mean. Well, yes, I know, but there's now another one. Oh, actually, there's now an unspecified one, just of the Boris next Johnson few days. Boris Johnson, journalist, was notorious for always missing his deadlines. In fact, I remember once on um, The Telegraph, Charles Moore just refused to put his column in because he was so late filing. So, <laughs> As we journalists know, that no, that is no good. Well, no, I mean, there's, there's, it's one thing being late. Um, uh, it's what, <laughs> but, but um, uh, missing your your slot in the paper altogether. I'm not sure. You, I'm not sure I've ever managed that. <laughs> what about you, Libby? No, uh, I've never managed that. I don't think so. No, <laughs> but I have to say about the, this whole um, this whole business. I, I am now suffering. I feel like Phyllis from the lower fourth with a girl crush on Ursula von der Leyen. I mean, what a cool, smartly turned out mother of seven, powerful, polite lioness, isn't she wonderful? Former uh, punk I, 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 fan as well, we read in the papers. Oh, she's, she's just got absolutely everything. The girl crushes us there. But <laughs> I don't know what Rachel thinks, but I think there is going to be a deal. I am the daughter of a diplomat, and I think it will be about language and the way it's framed. I think the fishing thing, you have to have hard numbers, but the sovereignty and level playing field stuff, it's going to be about some really clever words. Wouldn't you say, Rachel? <laughs> I agree, actually, and I think all of this bluster is I just don't trust anything Boris Johnson says and I think a lot of it is him trying to sound incredibly tough and mean and nasty to the EU so he can tell the Brexiteers oh I really stood up to them I really stood up for Britain and I you know waved the flag before caving in in some way or another as he did last year. And he's dug out. He's dug out the admirals now. He's dug out the admirals to say we're going to board the French fishing vessels out of helicopters. Just ridiculous. <laughs> I think it's a bit like a sort of you know professional wrestling where they it's a sort of choreographed fight between the two sides. But the problem is both sides are slightly doing their own play fight without actually. No, I think there's, there's, there's one much, of them so. writhing. There's Boris writhing on the ground, uh, wrestling with himself and his back bench. <laughs> Ursula von der Leyen isn't doing it at all. She's standing there in her smart the little, smart, cool suit. Oh, that woman. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she's just sort of just sort of looking at me. When, you, when you're ready, 
when you've quite finished doing all that. I, mean, I have to say, I agree with you. And I thought, I, I, I think I said last week, um, that we will end up with a deal. Because if, despite what Boris Johnson says, if going for no deal was just fine and dandy, he would have done it by now. That's the point, isn't it? And it is going to be, you know, whatever the, the sort of the medium to long-term benefits that might be, the short-term disruption over Christmas and into the new year in the middle of a pandemic, if it was that good an idea, we'd have, we'd have cut our losses and gone for it by now, wouldn't we, Rachel? I think so. And imagine what Rishi Sunak is saying at this point. You know, he's already spent <laughs> squillions on the pandemic rescue package. Can he really afford more squillions on a no-deal rescue package you know and this was this was the deal that was the easiest trade deal in history and you know Boris Johnson personally guaranteed there'd be a deal uh, and we'd have the exact same benefits as before Brexit so to have no deal would as Boris Johnson himself said be a failure of statecraft Um, and I just it's all about looking as if he's you know, ready to go for no deal. Uh, and then I think you're right, there will be a deal in the end. I mean, goodness knows, there's a lot that can go wrong in the meantime. But you see movement from the EU side, uh, Boris Johnson pretending he's not compromising, but he has already and he will do some more, I, I predict. Yeah, I was really struck. We had Stuart Jackson on the show last week, who was obviously a former Tory MP and was then a special advisor to, to uh, David Dawson, who was a Brexit secretary. And he listed all the stuff they had done uh, they, you know, the progress had, but you know, wasn't that you know in the dim and distant past we were talking about citizens' rights was the big sticking point, or mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole load of things that actually they have managed to agree on. I think it was the Irish were describing it as 97 percent done, and it does feel like just one big heave, and they can get the deal done, and then hopefully we we can, as Boris Johnson promised, never talk about it again. Well, that's the other thing. If it's no deal, then we're going to be talking about it for years and years and years still because they'll be constantly having to do lots of mini new deals, won't they? So it's, you certainly wouldn't be get Brexit done if it's no deal. I mean, it hardly will be if it is a deal, but... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it just turns out it's all a bit more complicated. Um, Libby, let's talk about um, Boris Johnson's critics who you've written about in your column today. The, um, uh, Boris Johnson's <laughs> critics can't have their cake and eat it. Well, yes, it was It was really quite... Uh, a, a, it was an interesting point about insurance, the fact that Glastonbury Festival, uh, hoping that government would underwrite the insurance risk for this summer, as indeed everyone would love them to underwrite insurance risks for this summer because it's all really very frightening. But um, I was just being quite flippant about the fact that given that Glastonbury was where Corbyn was cheered to the, to the rafters and people shouted the FFF word Boris, um, you know, Stormzy sort of led a crowd in chanting against him. I was sort of thinking, you know, might there not be a little mood among ministers saying, look, you know, um, shout obscenities at us on your own money, punks. <laughs> um, and this kind of, it linked it linked into the fact that, I mean, I follow a lot of arts blogs and a lot of arts Twitter and I have a lot of friends in it. And I'm so bored with the, the never kissed a Tory thing. You know, Ugh. the fact that all Tories are just evil. Tories are awful. You know, you're a C, etc., etc., etc. if you don't vote Labour. Uh, you know, it's even the, the, in the Corbyn period, this was said by quite sort of, you know, influential people. And it just seems to be completely pointless that you should have this this sense that you're only a good person if you hate Tories. You know, never mind what else you do, never mind how much money you make, never mind how much foreign holidays and grand houses you have. As long as you hate Tories, you're a goodie and that's lovely. And I was, <laughs> I was just trying to really send send up the fact that 
a lot of these people think that they are Samizdat heroes in Putin's Russia or the old Soviet or, or Turkey, you know, for speaking out bravely. And actually, there's nothing brave about it at all. They're taking no risks. It just annoys me. And when you're a sort of wet middling liberal like me, you, you just <laughs> you, you, you don't want to be enemies of any of them, really. You, you just want to kind of reason with everybody. Uh, but uh, anyway, I'm afraid under the line today, I'm either a sort of appalling Soviet fascist person or else I'm a heroine. There's really very little in between the two. <laughs> Um, what do you think about this, Rachel? I mean, actually, one of the you know the, the, actually, one of the things we've seen during the course of the pandemic is the Tories haven't lived up, certainly certainly on the economic side, anyway, haven't lived up to the sort of the the lefty characterisation of of the evil Tories with you know money spent all over the place, including popping up the arts. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. Um, I was thinking about Libby's column, whether historically, you know, was Shakespeare left wing? I'm not sure he particularly was. He was a sort of liberal on, if you think of measure for measure, he's anti-authoritarian. But I'm not sure he's very left wing in the traditional way that we'd think. And But I think there is a sort of anti-establishment thing in the arts. So, I mean, but it's always more to the left. So the Tories are in power now. When Blair was in power then the the arts were sort of anti-Labour, but from the left still, weren't they? Um, anti the Iraq war, um, mm. anti-Blair. So it's always sort of um, anti whoever's in power, partly. Um, which I think you want the arts to be questioning the establishment, don't you? Uh, but you're right, Libby, there is a sort of predictability to it. Um, I can't. I couldn't think of a sort of right-wing poet, writer, novelist, very obviously. I wonder about Joanna Trollope. Do you think she's a good Tory? I think Joanna Trollope is, is uh, like Ursula von der Leyen, one of those cool people who will stand back <laughs> from all of us <laughs> and just look, look at the human truths within. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, it annoys me. I hate the, I hate the, that, that, I think the, the line which sums it all up is that never kissed a Tory thing. They yeah. actually, no, you know, that it, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't. And I, I love argument. I love, and I love people who come up with statistics and social policies and ideas. Ideas. But if you look at criticism, the, the word disruptive is always used as a word of praise, you know, a wonderfully disruptive piece, never constructive, you know, always <laughs> disruptive. That's the thing to be. You know, if you're not if you're not kicking something over, you're not concentrating. And there's you know, there is a time for that. And there are policies which you have to disrupt. There's some dreadful policies. But, you know, it, it's not it's not all about just wreckage. Well, let's talk about... Well, let's slightly sticking with Jeremy Corbyn and all Jeremy Corbyn in Glastonbury and that sort of thing. We obviously had the excitement over the weekend, uh, albeit slightly later than build, the excitement of Jeremy Corbyn's new project. Today, I'm announcing a new project for the new year. I'm very excited about it, and I hope you will be too. Libby, are you excited about his uh, peace and justice project? Well, I've been checking it out. Global cooperation, climate justice, self-determination, democracy, human rights, uh, tick, tick, tick. Um, he said he's going to combine research and analysis with campaigning and organising and build on, he says, and this is where you start to think, hmm, it will build on the popular socialist policies developed over the past five years in the Labour Party, which basically just is a swipe at his successor. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, strictly speaking, they weren't that popular. This... Um... <laughs> 
Well, well, that, that's, that's the point. He's just sort of swiping. He's, uh, we all thought that's what the Labour Party, all that stuff I just recited, was what the Labour Party was about in the first place. And what he's actually saying by starting this is it's not about that. And so he is needed. His movement is needed. Jeremy Corbyn is still needed. You know, Keir Starmer can stand aside. And I, I think part of me says good for him still caring rather than just going on the allotment and sulking. But there feels like a big whiff of vanity there, which, which I, I like not. less. <laughs> um, wait, and also, sure, no, of course, he's a man. Men, men are never vain. <laughs> lack of self-knowledge. You know, this is the man who was criticised to high heaven by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission on anti-Semitism, hasn't really properly apologised over that. And yet here he is, pretending he's the face of human rights and equalities. It's just the sort of... Vanity, but also less. Slightly lost you then, uh, Rachel. It was almost Doesn't... like you were, you'd been edited. In fact, oh. one of the things that amused me most <laughs> about um, this, this, it's only about two minutes long, the video of Jeremy Corbyn launching his thing. It's about four or five different cuts in it. He obviously couldn't even read out um, his plan uh, in one go. So it keeps on. So, so there's sort of lots of sort of strange fades between cuts as he, as he reads it. The whole thing sort of sitting in this armchair with his blue blaze on. The whole thing that sort of slightly reminded me of those uh, Michael Parkinson adverts we tried to get you to plan your funeral. Um, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll get a free Parker pen just for inquiring. Um, <laughs> which maybe you do do that if you go on his, uh, if you go on his website. Um, now, listen, before I let you go, um, Libby, you've done what I'm desperate to do, and you've been to a panto. Well, it's not quite a panto. It was a Palladium one. I've actually been to two at the weekend. One of, no, three. One of them was, was a Christmas Carol standing up outside in Bury St Edmunds for an hour, and that was good. Then there was the Palladium, which is a sort of variety show mashup of panto jokes and, and Julian Clary trouser-related gags. Uh, I don't know how they toned them down for the royal family the day before. I cannot think. Uh, but it was fantastic fun, that. And then I nipped to the National Theatre for a rather more conventional panto. Uh, but the Palladium really was the high spot because it just had that tremendous feeling that the audience was being applauded by the cast and the mm -hmm. theatre itself for coming and we were applauding back at them for <laughs> amusing us so much. And, you know, I, I've never heard such roaring and, and cheering and sheer affection just kind of flowing both ways. Um, it, it was defiant. And, of course, London stands on the brink of being shoved back into Tier 3, which would close down all these things which have just opened up bravely. And it just... <laughs> now, if you... <laughs> that felt like the Samizat... <laughs> revolution. <laughs> I felt as if I was at Glastonbury. Yep. <laughs> what about you, uh, Libby? Are you a Panto fan? Um, me? Sorry, Rachel. You yes, you were, sorry, Rachel. Oh, no, I do mean Rachel. Are you a Panto <laughs> fan? No. Oh, no, you don't. We're Archie now, aren't we? We're one and the same. I've tried to book <laughs> tickets over Christmas for anything, and it's all fully booked. I think partly because there's so few seats available because of all the social distancing. So um, yeah. I'd love to go and see something, but I can't get in anywhere at the moment. Well, I've got tickets to a Panto. Remember, good friend uh, Will is in Jack and the Beanstalk in Tunbridge Wells, but they are currently in Tier 3. So um, there's every chance we won't get to see him. We'll just have to call him on Zoom and he can do his parts down the, uh, over the internet. Personal performance. Yes, exactly. But isn't it, but, but isn't it, isn't it in, a, in a weird way? I, mean, I, I have to say, I think I've been to seven different theatres during all the distancing. And I think that 
working it extremely well and as safely as it possibly can be. And I think it's fine. But there is to me something inspiring about the fact that despite the fears of a lot of theatre people, audiences are really wanting to come back. You know, people are fighting to come back. People are buying every possible seat. Uh, and I think that love of live entertainment, that, that love of, of the feeling of all being in it together and breathing the same air, even if it's dangerous, is, is something rather magic. I've loved it. That was Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester. And of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Uh, to get yourself a Times subscription, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Now, what are MPs worth? Yeah, what is an MP worth? How much should an MP be paid? Do you even know how much an MP... Uh, Well, the independent pay body set up in the wake of the expenses scandal had pegged MPs' pay rises to those of other workers in the public sector. It meant they were in line for a 4% rise, worth about £3,300 for next year. But after the coronavirus pandemic hit and the economy crashed, there was a political clamour not to take the pay rise, with Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer both lobbying the independent parliamentary standards authority to block the pay rise. So it turns out the the not-so-independent body has now shelved the idea and they're not going to get the pay rise. It means they're going to carry on earning around £81,932 next year. But what is the right amount of pay for the people who represent us in our democracy? There's no shortage of people wanting to become MPs, so maybe we don't need to pay them very much. But then we probably want the brightest and best the country has to offer, so maybe, maybe we need to pay them top dollar. Well, to get to the bottom of this, the research firm Opinion has carried out some polling for us here on Times Radio. 
which revealed notable disparities between what the public thinks MPs are paid and the reality. And Chris Curtis, from Opinion, uh, joins me now. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Matt. So talk us through this research, exactly how you did it. What were the questions you asked and what did you find? So we asked two questions. Um, Firstly, we asked how much do you think the following groups currently get paid? MPs were also included in that list, but we also included some other professions as well, such as nurse or teacher. And then the second question that we asked after that uh, is how much do you think they should get paid? Um, Again, with a a similar list of, of professions. Now, the main finding from this, I think, particularly when we well, let's, let's focus on MPs first, is that many people think that MPs possibly get paid uh, a little bit more than MPs actually do get paid. But they think that MPs should get paid a little bit less than they get paid. So the best way of looking at this is to kind of think about the median person in the country. So if you were to line everyone up and, and uh, from you know the people at one one end um, who think the MP should get paid nothing, and then right at the other end the person who thinks that MP should get paid millions of pounds, and you look for the middle person as sort of the middle opinion, and that middle person seems to think that MP should get paid a little over sixty thousand pounds a year. So that would be a considerable pay cut on what they're currently earning but uh but yeah still a sort of significant wage that is well above the national average and what about when you ask that same question uh, but what they think they get paid so they they think they get paid um a, a little bit less than they do so the sort of uh, sorry, uh, it's a little bit more than they do. So the the, av- the average, if you run it across, is about ninety five, ninety six thousand pounds a year. Obviously, therefore, yeah, that was about fourteen, thirteen thousand pounds above what what the actual salary for an MP is. Yeah, and it, it, it sort of struck me actually when um, the research came back was how um, surprisingly fair uh, people were. Um, you know, because there's a chance if you ask people what should MPs be paid, you get the response back, nothing at all. Um, but um, actually, you know, they in terms of uh, what they should be paid, it, it skewed lower than the 81,000 they currently get. So it was 5% of people said under 20,000, 11% said 20 to 40,000, 23% said 40 to 60,000. Uh, about the same proportion, 22% said 60 to 80,000. It's all sort of around that ballpark. Only 1% saying they should be paid over over £200,000, although 4% thought they actually uh, get that right now. Um, But it's quite difficult, isn't it, that that people don't... When you mentioned those other uh, occupations that you asked about, people have very skewed ideas as to what everyone earns, it turns out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we always have to be careful doing um, surveys like this because it's not necessarily... Um, the way public uh, think about it. And for example, what we need to make sure we're doing, and it looks like we've done quite a good job at here, is getting the scales right so that you can correctly account for people who want to give an answer um, at either end and also give the sort of what we've just described as reasonable answers they are giving. Actually, I think one of the most interesting disparities in this is between what people think a nurse should get paid and what a nurse currently does get paid. Obviously, nurses get paid um, sort of around around the £30,000 mark, slightly more than that um, on average. When you ask the public what you what they think nurses should get paid, it's almost it's over twice that number. So the public think nurses should be paid um, about sixty four thousand pounds a year, which is obviously considerably higher than they do get paid. I think potentially influenced by the fact that you know they're an occupation um, you know who many people have a lot of respect for, particularly after the year we've seen. And actually, that that's probably the more dramatic finding from the poll is not that you know there's people crying out for MPs to have a massive pay cut, is that there's people crying out for nurses to have a massive pay rise. 
Yeah, and it was the other one that sort of really leapt out, because actually on, on the question of doctors, uh, they were sort of broadly, I mean, it depends when you say, you know, doctor, do you mean GP or consultant or whatever? Uh, mm. They thought, on average, that doctors got paid about 85000 uh, They thought they should get about 90000 So, it, you know, that is broadly in the right ballpark for doctors. But uh, let's talk about waste collectors or, or, or bin men, um, uh, so that people know what they're talking about. This was amazing. Um, people thought that bin men got about £35,000 and thought they should be paid more than £45,000, when in reality, it's, it's less than half that. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that, that's potentially um, that that's uh, you know you know pe- people are people are always not going to be necessarily very good at predicting you know these kind of questions on these kind of things, and it's very very hard for survey respondents to think about this in the abstract. So it's always true that you will get some sort of results that look a bit skewed when you're when people are asked um, how much they think people earn. But yeah, I think it's particularly interesting with all of those sort of low paid public sector professions, whether it's uh, nurse, whether it's teacher or whether it is that sort of waste collector the public all think that all in it, people in all of those professions should be earning considerably more than they currently do and i think you know when we're potentially going into a period in politics where we're going to see salary freezes or salary cuts for a lot, a lot of public sector workers that kind of illustrates you know that that's probably going to be a fairly unpopular policy yeah, in terms of the politics of this as well are there any notable disparities i think um uh, although a quarter thought MPs were paid more than £100,000, that rose to about a third of Leave voters. Yeah, so there seems to be um, see, seems to be some interesting um, uh, differences between um, between uh, the, the between politics, particularly between Remain and Leave voters, and there's also some differences across um, gender as well. So men do seem to have different attitudes to women. So 64% of men for MPs should be paid under £80,000 a year compared with 58% of women. So, so men are men are slightly more um, cut their pay than women are as well. Um, uh, so so that, that's the main difference, main difference there. And then, yes, of course, as you mentioned, the difference between Leave voters. So um, just over a quarter, 28%. Um, for MPs should be paid more than £100,000 a year, but that rises to 31% of Leave voters. So some small differences, but noticeable differences on those two dimensions. Yeah, um, yeah, there was definitely, I think, um, Leave voters, women and, and people in Wales were particularly generous on that front. Anyway, uh, mm. uh, really good to speak to you. Chris Curtis there from uh, Opinion talking us through the polling. You've been sending in your uh, suggestions um, for what MPs should be paid. Somebody texts in saying they, it should be 94 £94,500, very specific, but it's the midpoint pay of a pay band one senior civil servant. Um, someone else texted in saying, I think we should get they should get £130,000 because they work very, very hard with a very, very long day. Uh, it's an intrusive job, a very little time for family. We need the best people for the job. It's really interesting, actually. Lots of the comments online uh, under the story that I wrote on the Times uh, website today uh, saying uh, much the same thing. Um... MPs should be paid the going rate to ensure we have the very best people, uh, have the very best people have the opportunity to be an MP and salary isn't a barrier to anyone becoming one, says Steve. Um, keep those uh, suggestions coming in. What should an MP be paid? Text me 87222, start your message with the word Times or tweet me at Times Radio. Up next, we'll speak to someone who thinks it should be paid more and someone who thinks it should be paid less. Matt Chorley on Times Radio. OK, so let's now get some different views on this question of what an MP should be paid. I'm joined by John Myers, who's a campaigner on housing in London. Morning, John. 
Good morning. Um, in, a, in a sentence, where, where do you stand on what MP should be paid? I think we should be paying them a lot more. Um, if you try to run your Premier League team like we do, you'd be in the lowest division in no, t- no time. Uh, yeah, that is true. When you compare it to footballers uh, or even anyone in, in football, then you're totally right. Then we've got uh, Luke Hildyard, who's the Executive Director of the High Pay Centre. Uh, morning, Luke. Good morning. Where do you stand on this in a, in a sentence? Uh, well, I think it, it's, a, it's very complicated, but in general, I don't buy into this idea that um, super well-paid people are necessarily more intelligent and more capable than anybody else and that um, we already pay them a very uh, decent amount by the standards of wider society. Okie doke, that's um, so you're sort of more on the other, other end. And then we've got Vernon Bogdanor, who's a research professor at the Centre for British Politics and Government at King's College London. Morning, Vernon. Morning. And where do you stand on this question? Well, I, I think we ought to pay them more. Indeed, um, almost whatever you pay will be too little for the work <laughs> they do. The more you pay, the wider the choice you get. It's a very complex and stressful job today, quite different from what it was even 50 or 60 years ago. And I think some people don't fully recognise that. Just explain that if people think, oh, for goodness sake, being an MP is not that complicated. Just, just set out what you mean by the fact that the, the job is, is, is complex and demanding. There are two prime aspects to the job. The first is the scrutiny of legislation on committees, on public bill committees which deal with legislation, and on select committees which deal with the workings of government, of the administration. And good MPs can save us all hundreds and thousands of pounds by effective scrutiny. But there's another aspect which is also of fundamental importance, the constituency caseload, which is huge, and it's grown in the last 50 or 60 years. For example, in the 1950s, Hugh Gateskill, who was shadow chancellor and then leader of the Labour Party, he received 20 letters a week. Now, I think most MPs would receive more communications than that in in five minutes. There's a huge caseload with a very complicated welfare state, and MPs are intermediaries between the individual, the constituent, and the welfare system, if you like, ombudsmen and ombudswomen. And uh, MPs do work, most of them, extremely hard. I think the average workload is 69 hours a week, and it's very stressful. There are, of course, a few, as in any profession, who are idlers and uh, spend their time uh, wastefully. But the vast majority work extremely hard. In the 1950s and 60s, for example, some MPs didn't even have constituency surgeries. And Attlee, who'd been Prime Minister and leader of the Labour Party, said, well, that was a matter for councillors. But I can't believe any MPs don't have <laughs> very busy constituency surgeries these days. Yeah, and like you said, even if they don't have the, the surgery, there's lots of other ways these days for... Um the electorate to contact uh, their MP. Luke Hildyard um, from the High Pay Centre. I'm quite surprised, actually, that a lot of the messages we've had in today and comments online saying that actually we should pay MPs properly to attract uh, the best. I find that quite a, quite a sort of troublesome aspect of this uh, of this debate. It's, it's based on this very damaging... Uh, misunderstanding that it's only the sort of you know the, the people at the top who are who are capable and intelligent and uh, frankly that that attitude has much wider application uh, in terms of the way we run our economy than to just um, than to just this debate but I think for a bit of perspective um, what we're sort of t- talking about here uh, MPs already earn well inside the sort of the, the the top ten percent of the UK population, I think in many cases for the higher paid ones they'd be 
it within the top sort of five or or one percent and i, I don't want to uh come across as saying that mps are sort of venal or exploitative or, uh, or or anything like that i'm very sympathetic to the argument that um that vernon was just making about the important and difficult job that they do but i think it's a bit sort of um you know borderline insulting the implication that it's only the people in these jobs paying the sort of top 10% top 5% sort of salaries that could scrutinize select committees or handle constituency casework i think there's very many people in the uh, in the sort of you know the bottom 90% 95% who could do that adequately and the mps are, are pretty much literally the last people in the entire economy who we want to be doing their jobs for the money it's much more important that they have real world perspective and 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 good values rather than uh you know um experience of uh, of incredibly well paid jobs that if anything remove them further from their uh, from their constituents and we'd want them to be uh, john myers let, let, let's let's tackle that question that actually you know there are plenty of people who could do this job so we shouldn't in, and you know let's be honest there's no shortage of people throwing their hat in the ring for um uh, to become candidates and that sort of thing and people somebody seems to launch a new political party about once a week um so so do we don't really need to pay top dollar do we if if there are so many people who want to do the job well, I think Luke set up a bit of a straw man argument here, though, because no one is saying that just because someone's well paid, they're necessarily more intelligent. The question is, should we be paying to get the best range of candidates so the voters from each constituency can pick the best person to represent them in their view? It's not a question of adequately. They want the best hitter for them. You know, if you want to be represented by the best, you've got to pay. There are, there are thousands of teachers and nurses and other key workers in each constituency, and there are wonderful people doing an incredibly important job. But that constituency probably only has one football team, and it definitely only has one MP. And those key workers deserve the best representation to fight them they can get. And they're not getting it at the moment. And that's one of the main reasons why they have such problems. Uh, Vernon Bogdanil, one of the things which actually a couple of people have uh, got in touch suggesting. Steve in Bristol says, I think MPs should be paid a... Uh, £125,000, but would not be allowed to earn income from any other employment. And then uh, Nick has emailed in, politicians get a six-figure f- salary. Uh, it's crazy the pay is too lo- low to attract brighter minds. But then so saying, that, saying that, once they become MPs, secondary incomes should be banned. No consultancy roles, no after-dinning speaking fees, etc. And that's actually been quite a big shift in the past... I don't know, 40, 50 years as well, isn't it? The, the, actually, far fewer MPs do have those second jobs, whether it is you know, um, being at the bar, uh, you know, as a practising barrister or, or just other, other employment. That's absolutely right. And one reason why we had the expensive scandal was that prime ministers were very unhappy in the days when Parliament decided what MP should be paid. Prime ministers were very unhappy to propose an increase in MPs' pay. And in the 1970s and 80s, they gave MPs the wink claim allowances. We can't give you extra money, but you can claim allowances and we'll turn a slight blind eye to it. And that's what caused the expenses scandal. But the truth is, uh, the more you pay, the wider the choice you have. It's up to constituencies to choose the candidates who become MPs. They don't necessarily need to choose rich people or people with very high IQs. It's up to them. But they do get a wider choice if people are not deterred from becoming MPs because the salary is not high enough. And I think in 2010, it was said that one third of new MPs took a salary cut of £30,000 or more a, a year. 
Now, we pay, for example, the head of a secondary school £100,000. Now, aren't MPs doing work at least as important as the head of a secondary school? Yeah, we should explain as well that um, if somebody becomes a cabinet minister, which is essential like taking on a second job of running a government department, they do get paid more uh, for, for that as well. And I think um, select committee chairmen uh, get extra on top of their 81,000. Um, Luke Hildyard, to what extent do you think that uh, politicians are slightly to blame for this as well? Is that, um, as Vernon was explaining, you know, the, the, they, they dodged the question on, on their pay before um, uh, and sort of lumped it all on their expenses. There's also... The, the short termism. We've just seen this with both Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer making, you know, making political hay out of of refusing the pay rise this time round because of the economic pandemic. Um, the MPs, you know, they they all at various points, different party leaders play the sort of austerity card or the hair shirt card, uh, and instead of making the case that this is a big job and it should be treated properly, we end up with sort of you know MPs, you know, cabinet ministers travelling into Whitehall on a bus to try and make some sort of score a political point right and i think that, that what um vernon was just talking about is a, a bit of a consequence of that with the um with the sort of expenses scandal and the and the pay being done in a kind of sort of under the table type way um and i think uh your one of your uh, uh correspondents steve from bristol i think made the point about um potentially paying them a bit more but banning secondary incomes which you know can be quite a uh, you know, there's an obviously potential corrupting influence there. I, I think that would be something I'd be in favour with. I would, um, yeah, having agreed with him on the point about expenses, I would sort of slightly um, disagree with Vernon on something he said about the number of MPs having to take 20, sort of £30,000 pay cuts to join uh, when they um, were elected to, to Parliament. That That says to me that the not that the people, uh, new MPs are underpaid, but they're wildly unrepresentative of the uh, of the population at large. That um, you know they're they're already earning uh, as MPs vastly more than uh, than their constituents, and they're coming from lifestyles where they were even further removed from their constituents. I think one point I'd want to emphasise here is looking at our politics and the way that uh, our country is governed and our economy works, can we really honestly say that the interests of the, the, the top 5%, the top 10%, the perspectives of people in these, um, you know, well-paid, high-powered positions aren't properly represented at the moment? I'd say it's the, 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 one of the big problems facing the country is completely opposite of that, that um, rich people have far too much power uh, an influence over the way that the country's run and that we need uh, more real-world perspective in uh, in our decision-making. Yeah, several people have just got in touch actually making the point that like, borough, leaders of borough councils can earn sort of £150,000, £200,000 um, uh, and don't have the same sort of national impact that, that, that an MP could do. So it just seemed to be... Um, uh, the, actually, the reaction has been quite surprising. I mean, Paul's just got in touch, pay MPs much, much more, pay candidates, join campaigns, pay for a period of time after they lose an election, give them proper benefits and structure, pay properly for their office, give maternity pay, leave and childcare, make them work proper hours and stop outside pay. Which uh, I suppose the big question then is, is um, do you want to pay more tax to do that? Which is another, you know, a sort of wider question. Before I let you all go, then let's put let's let's get down to uh, pounds and pence. How much do you think an MP should pay? I'll come around to all of you. John Myers, first of all, housing campaigner. I think we should double their pay for starters. So that'd make it what one hundred and sixty thousand. Um, uh, Luke Hildyard from uh, the High Pay Centre. 
Well, average pay in the UK is about um, sort of thirty-five thousand. I think there is an MP. Um, I'm, I'm not not quite sure of the exact facts. Who said they'd be take? They would issue their the full salary that they're entitled to and take the the UK uh, average. I'd say something, you know. 15 20% above that ought to be uh, ought to be sufficient to attract good candidates and also to ensure that people uh remain sort of representative and reflective of their constituents interests so we call that sort of 40 to 45 so about half what they currently get finally uh, Vernon Bogdan what what would you pay an mp well i'm going to dodge the question slightly <laughs> by saying you shouldn't uh, pay them so little as to deter really good candidates but not so high as to be the primary attraction of the job. So I would say a good deal higher than now, but perhaps not as high as, say, the head of the Metropolitan Police, who gets £278,000 a year. Nowhere nowhere near that level, but rather higher than they get now. Go on, then. I'll ask you a different question, uh, Vernon. How much would you need to be paid to, to become an MP? Oh, I, I, I'd need to be paid an infinite amount, because <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could manage the job it is enormously stressful and i think many mps do suffer from that they keep quiet about it but i think it is an enormously stressful job well we've come to the end of this episode of the red box podcast don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from listen to my times radio show every monday to thursday 10 till 1 uh, you can listen on DAB Radio on your smart speaker. Get the Times Radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box podcast of the Times Radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription to get that. Go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 